Go ahead and open up a Bible, please, to John chapter 6. If you're using the Bible, it's in the chairs in front of you. It's on page 946. It's estimated that there are about 40 million people in the United States who used to go to church but no longer do. That's an astonishing number, the highest that's, that's ever on record. And maybe you've heard words like de-churched or deconversion or exvangelical. And these are different terms that are uh, slightly different, but they're meant to describe a, a group of people who have walked away from the church. Or for some, have walked away from Christianity, have walked away from Christ and you probably know someone like that. And most likely in this room, there are some who are on the fence right now. Maybe you've come for a few weeks, or maybe it's your first time in a church in a while, and you're observing, and you're curious, and you're, you're wondering, or, or maybe you grew up in the church, but yet still you're just, you're just not sure if you believe and you're contemplating whether or not to, to walk away from Christ, from Christianity. You've, maybe you've seen things in the church. You've, you've felt hurt by Christians or, or you've heard or experienced different abuses or prejudice or selfishness or what, what feels like uh, people who are hip- hypocrites, who aren't living out what they, they say they believe. Or, or maybe it's not what you've experienced by Christians. Maybe it's actually the message itself, that you're struggling with some of the moral and the ethical commands that are in the Bible. You're not sure that you want God to be your king. You're not sure that his way is best, that you want to submit to that. But for one reason or another, you've felt this pull on your heart. Like, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure that I want to keep doing this. I'm not sure that I still believe or that I do believe. I, I'm feeling like it might be time to walk away. At the beginning of John 6, the crowds were flocking to Jesus by the thousands. They'd, they'd seen his miracles and the signs that he was doing, and so the crowds were coming. They, they liked seeing those things and, and what, they would, what he would do for them. But then when you get to the end of John 6, there's this line in there, this sad line that says, many turned back and no longer accompanied him. And this is why he turned to the 12 after many had, had deserted him. And, and he said to them, are you going to leave too? And, and Peter says these words. We, we were just singing a song based on them. Peter says, to whom would we go? Where else would we go? Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. And, and in this chapter, between the beginning and the end, Jesus is going to give us three reasons not to walk away. Three truths about who Jesus is that, that would cause us to want to cling to him in hope. Because if we walk away, where else can we go? Why is Jesus the only one worth following? That's what we'll see in John chapter 6. 
before we look at that, though, there are two miracles. We read them at the beginning of the service. These miracles are probably the two most famous miracles that Jesus did. Even people who don't know the Bible, who aren't Christians, probably have heard that Jesus fed this large crowd by multiplying bread and fish. And, and maybe if they hadn't heard that one, I bet they'd heard that there was a Jesus who claimed to have walked on the water. And so these miracles, they're, they're famous, they're infamous. People know them, but, but John actually doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. And so the, book, the, the first half of John is sometimes called the book of signs. And, and the reason they're called signs is because they're, they're signifying, they're, they're signing something else. The, these miracles are meant to teach us spiritual realities, truths about Christ. And so what is it about the feeding of the 5,000? What's it signing? What's it, what's it pointing toward? Look at verse 4 of John 6. It says, now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. John is cueing us in, as the way that he tells this story, that on the minds of all of the people, their collective memory, their thoughts, and their culture, it was Passover time. And so in their minds, they were already going to be thinking about Moses, about how he was the prophet who was sent and delivered God's people from Egypt, the slavery in Egypt, Already on their minds, they would have been thinking about the Passover meal of the bread and the wine. Already on their minds, they would have been thinking about manna that they received in the wilderness. And there was an Old Testament promise that there was a prophet like Moses who would come and, and bread from heaven would come down again. And so they're expecting some of those, those, some of those thoughts are on their mind. And so then when Jesus comes and multiplies the bread... How do they respond? They think, okay, this is the prophet who's, who's come from God and, and maybe he's going to deliver us from the oppression of Rome, just like Moses in, in the old times delivered us from Egypt. And so it says they, they are about ready to take Jesus by force and make him king. But Jesus withdrew. That's not actually what this miracle was supposed to point to at this time. So Jesus withdrew from the crowd. They were not able to, to make him king. And then his disciples get in this boat and they're crossing the sea. And this storm comes. And it, it says that the winds were strong. And, and they're out there about three miles from shore. And they see this figure come walking on the water. And it says that they're, they're frightened when they see him. They're, they're scared at this scene. But as Jesus comes to them, he says, it is I. Or in the Greek, he just says, ego a me, which is I am. And then he says, do not be afraid. Jesus, the one who created the seas, is walking on the seas. And he comes to them and he's, he's showing them, not the crowds, but his disciples. He's showing them, I'm not just merely a human prophet I'm not just merely a human king. I am God, the God of this universe. And how, how do they respond to that? It says they take him on board. And, and when, when they bring him in, when they bring him into the boat, immediately they are safe. That's all we have of this miracle. And then, then John jumps back to the rest of the book 
the rest of the chapter is about bread. And over and over again, we see that theme as Jesus is then going to show them what does it mean, this miracle of the bread. And so here's where we're going to see as he starts to address the crowds. It's the next day. The next day that the crowds come back, they come back again, they they ate, they were full, now they're coming to Jesus again, and Jesus is going to begin explaining to them why they shouldn't walk away, who he really is. Okay, so let's look, starting at verse 26. We'll read down through verse 35, and this is where we'll see the first reason why Jesus is The only one worth following. Jesus says this in verse 26 to the crowd. Jesus answered, Truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. And here's when he says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Okay, so the first thing that we see here in this section is that only Jesus can eternally satisfy the hunger, the deepest hunger and need of your soul they're coming to Jesus not because of who he is. Jesus says, you didn't, you're not coming because you saw the sign. Now, now, wait a minute. They did. They saw the miracle. They saw that he multiplied the bread. They've seen his healings. So why does he say they didn't see the sign? Because they didn't see, they didn't understand what the sign was about, what it was actually pointing to. They didn't understand what the bread meant. They were coming just because they got fed, just because of the the physical bread that they were able to eat. And so Jesus is saying to them, don't, don't just live for that. That's not enough. Don't Don't just work for earthly food. He says, work for what's eternal. Don't don't just make your life's pursuit all about what's here in this earthly life. There's something beyond that. There's something eternal to work for. And so they say, how do we do this work? How do we work for that? How do we do these works of God? And so then Jesus says, here's here's what I mean by work. I mean, believe in me. Believe in the one that God sent. The, The Jews were looking for this sign of the bread from heaven that would come again. And so when when they saw it, 
Some of them thought, okay, this is going to happen again. Manna, when, when Moses brought manna, he brought this food, this, this bread, this bread of life that they would have daily, their daily bread. And so they're coming to Jesus again, and they're saying, sir, give us this bread always. Try to enter into their world for a minute. For, for us, bread means something really different than it meant for them. We have, I mean, through the Industrial Revolution and agriculture, we have access to food like no one else in all of world history has had. We're able to be really picky about our food. There's many of you that probably don't eat bread, and so you're like, oh, bread? Uh, Gluten and carbs and processed and all, all these things. And, but for them, bread was the staple It was their necessary food. And so when Jesus is talking about bread, he's talking to them like the the sustenance that they needed to live. And so it's this image. There's something about our need for food, and that's the only possible way that we can live is if we eat food. You don't eat food, you don't live. And Jesus is saying, that's what it's like with me. Those, just like physically, God has given us hunger and thirst because our bodies need nourishment and water. And so those desires, those feelings, those cravings are are meant to, to cause us to satisfy those hungers in ways that will give us life. And also he's placed within every human eternal hungers and longings and, and deep desires that only he can satisfy. And so Jesus here is telling him his mission isn't to satisfy their physical hunger. That's not what he's here for. He's not meant to just care about their earthly lives. His mission here is to be the bread that they needed for eternal life. And so they say, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, it's me. I'm what the sign was about. I am. Am the bread of life. And this is the first of seven I am's that are going to be all through John's gospel. Uh, John 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John 10, he says, I'm the gate or the door. Also in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. And then in John 11, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he says in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then in John 15, I am the true vine. These seven different images in John's gospel where Jesus is saying, you want to know who I am. Here's here's an illustration that will show you, that will teach you. And each one shows us a little bit different perspective to help us understand who Jesus is. And so this first one with bread is to show us we have hunger, that means we need food. And and in an eternal way, we have these desires that can only be satisfied with Jesus Christ. And unless we receive him, unless we take him in by faith, then we cannot have eternal life. You, You have bread in front of you, physical bread, it doesn't do anything good for you if you hold it. 
doesn't do anything good for you if you see it. You have to eat it. You have to take it in and receive it and for it to go down into your stomach and digest it. And that's when it provides the nourishment that you need. And Jesus is here saying, unless you come to me and believe in me. So that's, that's the last verse here in this section where he says, I am the bread of life, verse 35. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. And so Jesus makes it clear. He's speaking metaphorically here that the way that we receive this bread is to come to him and to believe in him and to know that he alone satisfies. This crowd was coming to Jesus because of what he did for them because of what they could get from him. We can actually be tempted by that too. Not, not probably that, that we expect Jesus to, to multiply bread and fish for us and that we'll all eat together today, but what are ways that we view God and we come to God just for what he will give us rather than for who he is? You know, we maybe view God as this giant vending machine in the sky. That if we say the right things, if we show up to church, if we give to the church, if, if we do the right things, that we then expect that God owes us blessing and, and prosperity and a good life and an easy life and a good family and good relationships. We come to God because of what it will get us because of what we expect him to give us. Maybe we, we come to church and pretend to be followers of Jesus because it just makes things easier in our family. Our, our spouse will be happy. If you're a kid living at home, your parents will be happy. And so we're, we're coming to Jesus because of what it gives us, what it gets us, easy relationships, better relationships, friends. There's another lesson here for us in this passage because Jesus says, Whoever comes to me and believes in me will never hunger and thirst. And, and most of us here today have come to Jesus. We believe in Jesus. But yet, what's going on then in our hearts when we, we do still hunger and thirst and we, we try to satisfy it in sinful ways? When, when we look to meet those needs in ways that God has told us that's, that's not the way to life. When you, when you think about lots of different sins that we, we can get caught up in or that we can fall into or that we can choose to, to go down, think of ways that we're thinking, this is going to make me feel better. I'm just going to find some escape. I'm going to find some, some kind of pleasure right now in drunkenness or in getting high or in self-indulgence, whether it's in sex or whether it's in porn or whether it's in stealing or whether it's just in materialism or, or just trying to, to find pleasure and satisfaction in this world. What's, what's going on when we chase those things thinking they will make us happy? At its root, it's unbelief. Unbelief in what? Well, Jesus says, if you come to me and believe in me, you'll never hunger and thirst. And so it's at least unbelief in that. 
We lack faith to think that God's way is actually best, that what he has said in his word is actually, truly best, and we think, no, if I just go my own way, this will make me happier in this moment. And it does for a while. Sin feels good for a while. The, the pleasures and the, the things of this world feel good for a while, but they leave us empty, hungry, recognizing that there's got to be more than this. And, and what we're called to is a daily belief that Jesus is the bread of life, that he is what I truly need, that he alone can satisfy those deep cravings. And the things that I want to go to, that's not actually going to bring me joy. That's not actually going to bring me happiness. It's not actually going to bring fulfillment. It's going to make things worse. And so we find our true satisfaction in the only place that we can go for it, and that's in Christ, what he promises, that he is the bread of life. Let's look at the second thing. So the first thing is only he can satisfy. The second thing, starting in verse 36, we'll read down to 46. Jesus, responding to the crowd, says, but as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews started grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They, they were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. The second truth here in this section is that only Jesus accomplishes, perfectly accomplishes, successfully accomplishes the Father's sovereign will in salvation, in saving us. In this chapter, we see both the human responsibility in salvation and God's sovereignty in salvation. Multiple times in this chapter, the human responsibility shines out where Jesus says, come to me, believe in me. Anyone and everyone who comes to me and believes in me will have eternal life. But here, Jesus also describes for us this God's sovereignty in salvation, where, where he speaks of Father, Son, and Spirit and they're the role that God has in our salvation. Did you see him? The Father, it says, he says, no one, no one comes to the Father unless, and comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. Because of our sinfulness, 
because of our rebellion, because of our sinful hearts, none of us come to God unless he's, he's drawing us to himself. And he says, everyone that the Father draws and gives to the Son will come. So that's the Father's role. And the Son here, Jesus, what he's saying about himself, he says, and everyone that the Father gives me, I will not cast them out. I will not drive them away. I will raise them up to eternal life in the last day. And then of the Spirit, it wasn't in the section we read, but if you want to look down to verse 63, the Holy Spirit is mentioned there where it says the Spirit is the one who gives life. So Jesus already said that back in chapter 3 of John to Nicodemus, that it's the Holy Spirit who, who regenerates, who, who causes the new birth, who gives us new life, causes us to be born again. The Spirit is the one who gives life. And so God, Father, Son, and Spirit accomplishing their, the sovereign will of God in our salvation. So we have this beautiful tension and difficult sometimes to believe and to accept doctrine of, of the human responsibility and God's sovereignty and salvation. And so why, though, is it here? Think about that. What's, why does Jesus say these things? What's his goal? What's he trying to accomplish and help us understand right here in the middle of this section about him being the bread of life? First, right before he says these things, what were they saying to him? They said, sir, give us this bread always. They're, they're wanting him to, to give them this bread every day. The, 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 get, feed us Feed us again, Jesus, and feed us again tomorrow, and feed us again the next day. And so Jesus is clarifying, that's not my mission. That's not why I'm here. That's not why I was sent. It wasn't to give you more bread. I'm here to, to accomplish the mission of saving souls. My mission here is to provide eternal life, eternal bread. And then he's also, I think, wanting to clarify he's not going to fail his mission. He's, he's not going to, to be unsuccessful. And even in this chapter, as people are going away from him and turning their backs on him and walking away from him, he's not surprised by that. It doesn't mean that he is a failure. What he says is that everyone who comes to me, everyone that the Father draws, everyone that believes in me, I will not cast them out. I will not lose one of them. And I will raise them up to eternal life on the last day. And so here, Jesus is saying, in the midst of the time when they're misunderstanding why he's here, he's saying, I'm here to provide eternal life. And I guarantee that I'm going to provide it. I will accomplish all of the Father's will for me as I come here to this earth. And you can trust that. And so right now, today, through God's word, there's, there might be someone here who's feeling him draw you. Draw you into this kind of saving relationship with God. You, you, 
You're feeling this pull on your heart. Like the things that you've been living for, you know they don't satisfy. The, the, the things that you've been searching for, n- nothing seems, nothing seems to, to meet that hunger in your heart. Everything leaves you feeling that emptiness of, I, I know there's got to be more. And, and as you're hearing this, you're, you're feeling, yes, God, I want you to forgive me. I want relationship with you. I want that kind of joy and and satisfaction and life that Jesus is is promising. You're feeling humbled and you're feeling desperate. That's God at work in your heart drawing you to himself. Don't resist it. Come to him in faith. And Jesus promises. He promises that he will guarantee your salvation No one can can pull you away from him. He will not lose any. He certainly will raise us to eternal life on the last day. He is the bread of life. There's one more thing that he says. Increasingly, as he says these things, the crowd's becoming more upset, more angry, more ready to turn away from him. And this next one is difficult. Listen to it as I read verse 47 through 58. Jesus says, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread... Look at this verse. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus doubles down. Verse 53, Jesus says to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the manna that your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. So Jesus here is saying something else about himself, that he is the only one who sacrificially gave his life for your eternal life. This passage, I mean, this this saying of Jesus caused a lot of controversy right here. This is why many turned away from him. They said, "This this teaching is too hard. It's too difficult. I don't actually think that they thought he was speaking literally. No, no, one, no one came up and tried to bite Jesus here. They, they know he's talking metaphorically. He had been already, but yet they still think this is too much. I don't understand what he's saying. I don't understand what the metaphor is. But, but whatever he's saying here, he's, he's making some really strange claims. And it was too much. They wanted to walk away. This passage has caused controversy not just then, but throughout church history. Uh, Catholics have, have taken this passage, and it's, it's part of the, the understanding that they have of the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. 
thinking that there's, there's something called transubstantiation that happens, that the, the bread and the, the cup turn into the, the physical presence, the physical body of Jesus. Again, I think misunderstanding of what Jesus is, is teaching here and, and doing, all, all, even back in verse 35 where he says, here's, here's how your, your hunger is satisfied. It's by coming to me and believing in me. And so he is doubling down on the metaphor, but it's still a metaphor. He's, he's saying you have, to, you have to eat, you have to drink. And, and why, does, why does he speak of his flesh and blood? Because that's the verse that I stopped us on as we were reading through, and I said, look at this one. He says, here's how I, I give life to you. The bread that I'm going to give is my flesh. He's, he's speaking of the way that he would accomplish this is that his body would be broken, his blood would be shed, that he was going to have to give his life so that we can have eternal life. He had to die so that we could live. If, if John wanted to, to use this to talk about communion or the Lord's Supper, when John gets to that in, in John 13, he doesn't even describe Jesus as he institutes the Lord's Supper in John's Gospel. But, but John here is, is showing this image, this metaphor, as Jesus was talking, saying, what the, the way that you receive me, the way that this eternal life is given to you is as you take me in, as you accept, as you believe, as you trust, as you come to me in faith. That's how you have eternal life. As the crowds left, that's when Jesus then turns to his disciples, the 12. He says, you don't want to go away too, do you? And now you can see why Peter responds the way he did. He says, to, to whom would we go? Peter understood these things, that only Jesus can satisfy. Only, Jesus, only you can, can accomplish God's will in saving our souls and and rescuing us and guaranteeing our eternal life and salvation. Jesus, only you, only you can give us eternal life in yourself. There, there could be some here right now feeling at this crossroads, this fork in the road of, am I going to walk away from Jesus? Am I going to believe in this or am I going to walk away? There's another way that, that people leave Jesus, and it's not, it's not actually that, okay, I'm deciding today. It's more of a drifting. You play in the ocean, and there's strong current, and after you're out there for an hour or so, you, you look back at the shore, and you realize you're far from where you started. When, when, when you're in that current, how do you stay in the same spot? Well, you look at the shore, right? You, you put an umbrella there, or a bag, or a family member, and you keep looking back at them. You're playing in the waves. You keep looking back, and it, it, it orients you to, to, stay, to stay strong and not be swept away by the current. And, and Jesus here gives us three things about himself that we can fix our eyes on and not be swept away from him to, to remember that he, he is the only thing that can actually satisfy those hungers, those desires, that he is the only one 
who can accomplish your salvation and guarantee it. He is the only one who gave of his life, who died so that you can live. And so how do we respond to that? We respond to it with faith. Saying, Jesus, I believe you are the bread of life. Where else would I go? Where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. Let's pray.